Hello Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Now, I understand we here in Packer Nation are consumed with the story of Aaron Rodgers testing positive for COVID and the undeniable fact that Rogers, if not out and out lying about his vaccination status, kind of played fast and loose with the truth and reporters kind of let him get away with it. Now they're feeling that they were deceived. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. But the, the bottom line is, you know, even if the Packer, even if the Packers did not follow NFL protocol and treated Rogers differently, and my guess is they, they probably did um, with that with regard to that. At least the bottom line is sooner or later Aaron Rodgers is going to be back to play for the Green Bay Packers, and nobody's losing their lives over this thing. Hopefully, he will recover successfully from COVID, and you know we'll, we'll move on from it a couple weeks from now. Now it's a big deal because if, for example, he's not able to play, well, we know he's not going to play this week, and if he's not able to play next week, and the Packers end up losing those games and it costs some playoff seedings and stuff we'll look back to this and, and have a perspective but at the end of the day it's football it's just a game it's not a life or death situation and we here in you know packer nation we are not dealing with other issues i mean we could be the las vegas raiders this story about the second year superstar split end henry ruggs the third who up until a couple days ago played for the las vegas raiders i mean this is a story about like real life and these are like real life and literally death issues for people who haven't been following the story the um, ruggs second year um, he was the 12th pick in the NFL draft last year, leading Raiders receiver this year. And the Raiders are off to a very, very good start. Well, um, Ruggs, 3.45 a.m. Tuesday morning, is involved in a crash. He's driving his Corvette. He smashes into a car. This is like 3.45 in the morning, driven by a woman. The car, I mean, the impact is so great, it causes the, the car the woman is driving to flip over it catches on fire she dies um she's got a dog in the car with her the dog dies as well the cops come out they investigate they say there's evidence of of impairment in other words meaning that he's drunk or high and or both and um she's dead so he's he's taken into custody the raiders immediately cut him from the team that's the least of his worries because you know he's taken to the hospital his girlfriend was apparently in the car with him she's seriously injured in the crash he's the one that, that pretty much walks away unscathed largely so you got a woman that's dead you've got your girlfriend who's severely injured and you know you kind of walk away from this so he's looking at obviously a very very long prison term if it turns out that he was in fact impaired plus his career effectively i think is is over and appropriately so i think you could argue but it, it does demonstrate just how 
how momentary bad decisions can come back to haunt you. Well, now it's starting to come out. Apparently, um, he was involved in some extensive partying. What a surprise. Immediately before the high-speed crash. And there's all sorts of, this is what happens in this day and age now where you've got to take films, of photographs of yourself. And there's all sorts of pictures that are coming out of him um, partying in Las Vegas before he ended up plowing his car into you know, another car and causing all these things. But but here's the, the real dazzling detail that's now emerging. All right, according to authorities, when this crash occurred, and again, the allegations are that he was impaired, when the crash occurred, he was going 156 miles an hour. 156 miles an hour. The speed limit was 45. In, in in the area where they are, he's going 156 miles an hour when he slams into this Toyota RAV4 that the speed that he was moving in the Corvette was so great that that's, it apparently spun out for nearly 520 feet. I, I mean, you know, think think about how far that car had to spin. 520 feet. You know, that, that's over a football field. It's well over a football field, and the car burst into flames. So he's going 156 miles an hour. Presumably, he's intoxicated. Um, he refused to participate in a field sobriety test. He yelled at cops who tried to interview him as he was being treated for injuries. He told officers to get out of here and say no. He yelled no if he asked if they remembered what happened. So bottom line is... All right, we've got issues with the Packers and COVID and things like that. Okay, the Raiders star receiver who's not going to play down a football again and probably, if these facts are correct, is going to spend next 10 to 20 years of his life in prison for killing somebody driving 156 miles an hour. I said this yesterday, and I, I really wasn't being facetious. I, for the life of me, it, for for these professional athletes, why why any of them are allowed to drive cars is absolutely beyond me. During the, I'm going to tell you something. If I was the general manager, I was a team owner, I would put requirements in these contracts. If I'm shelling out all this money and the requirement is you hire a driver, you know, because how many of these stories do we hear that are exactly like this? Maybe not 156 miles an hour, but you know, you got somebody that's out, they're drunk, they get behind the wheel of the car, and terrible, terrible things end up happening. I think I'd put the requirement in just saying, hey, during the, during the season, maybe we can't control what happens afterwards. Yeah, you can go out, you can do what you want, but you know, you cannot drive because that's, and, and actually, if the Raiders had a provision like that in this guy's contract, presumably, a woman would not be dead, his girlfriend would not be seriously injured, and he'd be getting ready to play next Sunday's game. All right, I mentioned this beforehand. I have been I've been watching not all of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial because I there's all sorts of other things I do in my life, but I've been watching a, a lot of it. And one of the things you have to be careful on, and I want to admit this in the, up front, is as I was saying earlier, trials are are like puzzles. It's your know, evidence comes in in bits and pieces and it's the job of of the prosecutor to put those bits and pieces together and, and to make them make sense. So sometimes you can get a very misleading opinion of how a trial is going if you only watch 15 minutes of testimony here or there or you only end up watching, you know, one witness and unless 
you know, that witness is is a key, crucial witness. For example, if Kyle Rittenhouse testifies, and I believe he probably has to, I mean, that's that's going to be, you know, game, set, match one way or the other. So when you're watching the prosecution, they'll put together a case. You, you've got to be careful about overreacting to, you know, any one particular piece of evidence because it's only one piece in a large puzzle. Having said that, the, the testimony I watched today, not not good for the prosecution. Now, if, when I was prosecuting cases, if I had if I had a weakness as a prosecutor, I, I think it would be that I tended to under try cases, and by that I mean that I was always of the belief that jurors were pretty smart and jurors could figure out what would would happen. And I, I thought it was also very important to try to keep jurors' attention. Sometimes prosecutors, if you've got 10 witnesses that are going to say the same thing, you put on all 10. And I, I, I was never like that because, to me, that just gets boring. If you've got the same people that are saying the same thing, unless it's really contested, I would always, in that case, I'd pick the two or three best and I'd, I'd put them on. In addition, what you have to remember is trials are what I would call criminal trials or searches for reasonable doubt. The defense does not have to prove that somebody is innocent. The defense simply has to prove that the prosecution has not proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's why defense attorneys, it's, it's always a search for reasonable doubt. They're trying to find issues that they can create a, enough questions to make the jury wonder whether or not there's a reasonable doubt here. And that is why I always believed as a prosecutor that unless you absolutely had to, all right, that's the that's the thing with the asterisk, unless you absolutely had to, I would almost never call a witness if I thought the witness was going to be a bad witness or a lousy witness or a waffling witness or whatever, because if you put somebody on the witness stand that's fighting you as the prosecutor or isn't saying the things that you want them to say or whatever, you're, you're all you're doing is you're giving the defendant you know, reasonable doubt, the defense reasonable doubt. Now, sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes it's a key witness and you know it's going to be a crummy witness, but you just got to roll with it because that's all you have. Well, what happened today this morning in the Rittenhouse case, and again, I want to be careful about overreacting to this, but it, w- it was interesting because I was watching it on court TV, and the court TV commentators were saying the same thing I was afterwards. So the prosecution, in, in the last couple of days, they've been playing, they've got videotapes from all over. You know, there was all, all these different people that were out there filming these different things. So they call a witness today. His name is Richie McGinnis. He is a videographer from the Daily Caller. And so he's one of the guys that he's the guy that actually talked to Rittenhouse before the the shooting. And he's on the scene. He's one of the in-person witnesses that sees the shooting involving uh, Rittenhouse and the first victim. And I'll I'll say victim, which was Mr. Rosenbaum. Now, the the story, the, the circumstances behind this. Are, are, are in general not an issue, but they are. Because, because here's why. Rittenhouse is, there's this chaotic scene. So Rittenhouse is in the crowd that night. Rosenbaum is described by multiple witnesses as being agitated. He had apparently just been released from a hospital. He had gone over to see his girlfriend, but he wasn't allowed to see her because I think there was a restraining order or something, and and he's out on the street. And he had apparently confronted Rittenhouse early on. So in the moments immediately before the shooting, and this is what McGinnis, the witness, is talking about, 
Um, Rosenbaum is chasing Rittenhouse, right? Rittenhouse has got the gun. He's running away from Rosenbaum. What happens is there's a shot that's fired in, in the air, and it's, it's in the immediate vicinity. At once the shot is fired, Rittenhouse turns around. Rosenbaum is running at him. Uh, and what happens is Rosenbaum jumps at Rittenhouse in what I think is probably described as an effort to try to grab the gun. Okay, so that's the circumstances. And then Rittenhouse fires, fires a couple times. Well, the, the, the prosecution wants, wants the testimony to be that Rosenbaum lunged for the gun Rittenhouse stepped out of the way and then kind of shot him in the back, shot him, you know, and they want to argue, I think they're going to want to argue that this, it wasn't self-defense because the guy was past him. He, he, Rittenhouse had avoided the lunge, in other words. So, you know, the the threat, the immediate threat was passed. There was no justification for it. Well, this witness, McGinnis, isn't going down that route. He's, he's essentially saying, well, this all kind of happened at, at once. It was all sort of like one, one movement. Rosenbaum was running. He, he lunged at Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse kind of sidestep. And then, yes, then Rittenhouse pulls the, the trigger. But it, it's, it's, it's all as, it's like one continuous thing as opposed to, he jumped, the threat was over, and he shot. That's not the answers I don't think that the prosecution wanted. So the prosecution then is trying to impeach its own witness by playing, you know, that's playing an interview he gave with Tucker Carlson. And I think the jury doesn't quite understand what's going on, and it's just this, I think it's confusing. I think people were trying to figure out what is the prosecutor trying to accomplish? Why is he, you know, essentially asking hostile questions of his own witness? And and of course, the witness is responding, saying, "Well, I don't think I'm saying anything inconsistent now." Then I on the witness stand, and I said with Tucker Carlson, it was all this one kind of continuous thing. Bottom line was, in the search for reasonable doubt, what what happened is the prosecution this morning by calling this witness, and maybe they had to at least this one snippet. Um, gave the defense, I think, an argument for reasonable doubt because they're saying, look, the, 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 the eyewitness that the prosecution called, um, this is their, this is their version of it. They're just talking about how this was kind of like one continuous thing. Now, again, this is just one snippet and you can't just take one particular witness and one snippet and draw an overall conclusion. But this, um, this one didn't go the way the prosecution wanted. I thought yesterday was a pretty good day for the prosecution. I thought the first witness the uh, state called the friend of Rittenhouse who talked about how they procured the gun and things. I thought he was a pretty good witness for the state. Um, the witness they have on the stand right now, at least the part I watched this morning, not good for the prosecution. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Love him or hate him, James Carville is always entertaining. Remember James Carville? James Carville was the architect behind Bill Clinton's victories in the early 1990s, and he rose to fame as being uh, he and his wife Mary Madeline, who was the conservative, and he was the liberal, and they'd go on TV and they'd have all these fights and stuff. And you know, James Carville, he, he's still around, offering commentary. And love him or hate him, he, he's always entertaining. And and he's actually he was the one that came up with the whole idea behind it's the economy, stupid. And if you remember back to the Clinton years, that 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 was it. It was they had big signs up. They said it's the economy, stupid. Don't don't go off on all these other tangents. People vote their pocketbooks. It's the economy, stupid. So he, 
I've got an interview. So they go to him and they say, okay, after what happened Tuesday, and look, Tuesday was a debacle for Democrats. So there's no way you can, you can change that. You know, Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 points a year ago. Um, the income, the, the governor of Virginia, the Democrat running for governor loses by like two or three. That's a huge swing. In New Jersey, where Trump lost by what, 15 points, the Democratic incumbent survived, but he survived by the skin of his teeth. I mean, incredibly close. Nobody saw that coming. So they're they're going to Carvel and see if you watch a lot of the the punditry that's out there. A lot of the left is still in complete denial about what happened, and and they think that okay that the reason why McAuliffe lost in Virginia was was racism and it was white supremacy and it was that fifty one percent of the people who voted for him were just flat out stupid and they're racist, etc. And, and that's that's the attitude that they're clinging to. Nothing to see here, no problems at all. It's just another example of. Of, of racism. It couldn't be like anything else that we're doing. So they ask Carvel about that. They say, well, what, what do you think happened here? And he, he goes on the PBS NewsHour, and, and th- they said, what went wrong? And, and I love it. He says, what went wrong is stupid wokeness. Don't just look at Virginia and New Jersey. Look at Long Island, Buffalo. Look at Minneapolis. Even look at Seattle, Washington. I mean this defund the police lunacy. This take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. People see that. And it really has a suppressive effect all across the country on Democrats. Some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. I, I love it. Stupid wokeness. And, and it's exactly right. Now, of course, you, you say these things. And people aren't going to want to hear it. They, they, they still, there's still people out in Madison that want to get rid of the Abraham Lincoln statue. You know, there, there's still people in Madison that want to defund the police. There's people, heck, in Milwaukee that want to defund the police. And, and yeah, if you're a conservative, what you want to do is you want to say, yeah, go on with that. It just keep pushing that agenda. But actually, Carville is right. It's stupid wokeness. Defund the police lunacy. Take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. People see that. Um, some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. Huh. Can you imagine, like, if you put a camera in one of those woke detox centers? Hi, I'm Bernie Sanders, and I'm suffering from stupid wokeness. Hi, I'm AOC. I'm suffering from stupid wokeness. Hi, I'm Nancy Pelosi, and here's what I want to do. I want to see how much we can raise people's taxes and how much government money we can give away. Nope, I think this is one where Carvel, who coined the phrase, it's the economy, stupid, nails it on the head. You wonder what happened Tuesday to Democrats all across this country, and it was stupid wokeness. Now, will they wake up? Or will they double down? My bet is they double down. But time will tell. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let us review the bidding. And and I understand sometimes when we discuss this issue, there's no room for nuance, but I'm going to try again. I am not an anti-vax guy. I, I got vaccinated as soon as vaccinations were available. Um, I, I believe that I, I believe that the vaccination vaccinations are safe for the vast majority of people. And I, I think it's if we want to get past the covid van- pandemic, I think it's the way to go. I acknowledge that vaccines are not per are not perfect. You know, you do have cases of breakthrough where people get sick. But 
As a general rule, if you are vaccinated, your chances of getting or giving someone COVID are significantly less. And if you do happen to be one of those breakthrough cases, your chance of getting seriously ill is greatly reduced than if you weren't vaccinated. And and that's just the reality. That's what the statistics bear. So while I appreciate that vaccines aren't perfect, uh, unless... I believe, at least, unless there's a compelling medical reason for you not to get vaccinated, I think people should get vaccinated. But at the same time, I respect that that is an individual choice. And I understand that there are some people who I don't know, don't necessarily see it the way I do. I understand that there might be, for example, some young women in the childbearing age or whatever who are concerned about these things. And I guess while I think I think people should get vaccinated. I'm not going to come, and I I don't ridicule people who've made the decision not to get vaccinated. After all, this is, in fact, a, a free country. Now, all right, having said that, let's talk about employers. I think employers have a right to set rules for their workplaces. And I think one of those rules involves, you know, people getting vaccinated. Now, hear me out here. I mean, I think an employer, for example, if an employer takes the position that, look, um, I'm worried about, you know, people coming into my workplace and I'm worried about, you know, my employees who might be unvaccinated, who have COVID. And I think there's perhaps a greater chance that they could, you know, give COVID to a customer. I don't want that. Or I'm worried that my unvaccinated employees, there's a greater chance that one of them can get COVID and be out sick and then be on the health insurance. And then I have to figure out a way to how am I going to replace them? Oh, I think there's a wide variety of reasons why I think employers have the right to set their own rules for the workplace. And employees then have the right to decide whether or not they're going to follow those rules. Your employer says, okay, you're a cook in a nursing home. And for whatever reason, you've decided that you don't want to get vaccinated. And the employer says, okay, well, you got to be vaccinated by November 1st. I think you have realistically two choices. One is that you get vaccinated by November 1st and you keep your job. Or secondly, you say, sorry, I'm done. Um, I'm going somewhere else. That that's it's America and the door swings both ways. So I think employers have the right to do it. Now, I'm not saying that I think employers should. I think it's an individual decision that employers need to make based on what what their particular workplace looks like, what the needs of their workplace look like, whether or not their employees have contact with the general public. There's all sorts of different factors, but I think an employer should have the right to decide the workplace rules, and the employee then has the right to decide whether or not they can live with those rules or not. If they can't live with the rules, fine, you know, go go find a job somewhere else. That that's that's America. All right, so that's how I feel about vaccinations. That's how I feel about employer mandates. There is a third category, though, to me, which is different, which is the government telling employers that we are going to tell you what your workplace health rules have to be. And just like I think an employer has a right, for example, to say that people have to need to be vaccinated, what if an employer decides, no, we, we don't think that that's appropriate or necessary for our workforce, but then government comes in and says, Mr. Employer or Ms. Employer, we don't care what you think is right for your workforce. We're going to tell you the way it is. 
And that is precisely what is happening today. After lots of conversation, the Biden administration has announced today that the Labor Department, OSHA, will be imposing new rules. And these are rules not voted on by Congress. It's not like Congress passed this into law. This is by essentially executive edict, the Biden administration saying that for employers who have a 100 or more employees, the rules are that by January 4th, you will be required to make sure that your workers are either vaccinated or tested weekly for COVID-19. This rule will cover more than 80 million employees. All right, um, here is the deal. Companies subject to the rules, which is any company that has more than 100 employees, must ensure that employees who aren't vaccinated produce a negative test at least weekly and wear a mask in the workplace. Um, employers aren't required under the new policy to pay for the tests. Um, employers who don't adhere to the requirements could face penalties of up to around $13,600 per violation. Okay, so let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know some of you don't think employers should have mandates. That's not what I want to talk about because I disagree. I think employers get to set the conditions for the workplace. I think employers get to say it. But this isn't the employer. This is Joe Biden and Joe Biden's Labor Department saying to an employers, we don't necessarily care what you think. We are telling you that everybody by January 4th either has to be vaccinated or they have to go through a weekly test. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And let's have the conversation. I just don't flat think that that's the role of the government. If the employer wants to do it, like I say, I have no problem. But all right, Joe Biden doesn't know and OSHA doesn't know what's best for your particular company. They don't know what the needs of your company are. They don't know what the COVID protocols necessarily need to be for your company. Maybe maybe you've got 101 employees and 99 are vaccinated, and the, the threat that those other two employees face posed to your company are you've decided are negligent, but are, are, are just negligible. But the government's telling you you have to do it. I just don't think that's the role for it. And by the way, I think that uh, there's going to be a number of lawsuits filed about this. This might be one that succeeds. Is the government going too far in dictating what employers' policies have to be across the country with regard to COVID? My answer would be yes. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Lines. Let's start with one of the many texts that are coming in. Jeff, it's so, it's so often the case, you are entirely correct. Thanks. Additionally, what I don't understand is how the government can enforce a rule that is so arbitrary as to suggest that the size of the employer somehow matters in whether the mandate applies or not. What a good point. I mean, let, let's let's think about that. If you've got 105 employees, all right, then you're going to be subject to this mandate and the weekly testing and everybody's got to be vaccinated. And if you've got 95 employees, it doesn't apply. So one of our texters says, if I had 100 employees, I'd fire one of them, get down to 99 so the rule doesn't apply. Yes, it, it is, in fact, completely and totally arbitrary the way that this is all uh, approached. And, and I'm not coming at it from an act anti-vaccine perspective, and I'm also not coming at it from a perspective of employees. Employers not having the right to make rules. But if an employer 
has decided this is appropriate for our workplace. This is our rule. We're um, we're not going to require weekly testing. You know, we're we're going to let people back in, but we're going to require you to wear a mask or something. But we're not going to make you be weekly tested or things like that. Doesn't an employer shouldn't an employer have the right to do that instead of having the federal government tell them, well, this is what we think is appropriate in our one size fits all approach? Chuck uh, in Manitowoc. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, okay, I I agree with you. The, the company should have the right to mandate if they get the vaccine, and the government shouldn't put their, their fingers into it. Mm-hmm. But what happens when insurance companies start saying, you have to have your people mandate or vaccinated, or we're not going to mm-hmm. sell you the insurance anymore? Mm-hmm. I mean, because insurance companies are in it to make money, and it, I just feel that that's going to be the, the next argument. Well, you know, Chuck, thanks for calling. No, you you may. I mean, thanks for calling. You you may very well be be right, but but that's not the government. Look, I mean, if an insurance company and look, and this happens in other things as well. That this is why, um, in in, I I think most employers. I'm not going to say all, but most employers. Yeah, if you're a smoker, it's treated differently. Then, if you're a non-smoker, because it affects insurance premiums and, and things like that. So, look, if, if this is a deal where, for example, an insurance company comes in and says to an employer, here's the deal. If you don't have everybody vaccinated and you're letting people into the workplace, we're going to jack up your insurance premiums and health care costs are going to go from X to Y. Okay, and, and so then as a result of that, the employer decides, well, I don't want my health insurance premiums going from X to Y, so, okay, I'm going to rethink my, my vaccine mandate policy. I'm going to do it. If, if that happens, that, that's okay, at least to me, because then the employer has to make the decision, gee, is it worth paying more for health insurance, or what, what's the effect? I'm going to lose employees, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a decision that the employer gets to make on themselves, by themselves, based on market forces, not Joe Biden and his labor department who decides that they know what's best for everybody, taking a one-size-fits-all approach. Here's a text. Jeff, I disagree. I think it's the government's responsibility to enforce the vaccine law. Well, first of all, it's not a law. Okay, It's, it's not a law. It's a rule that the Biden administration decided to just manufacture. They have the right to enforce the vaccine laws. People have a right to be surrounded by people who don't put them at increased risk of COVID. The vaccine accomplishes this. Well, okay, this is the reverse of of that argument. Let's say that you work in a workplace where they don't require the people who come in to work to be vaccinated. That's a decision that management has made. Well, just like I was arguing before, if your employer says you've got to be vaccinated to be in and you decide you're not going to be vaccinated, you can walk out the door. This is the flip side of that. Let's say, you know, your employer has a policy where they don't require a mask rule. They don't require people to be vaccinated if that's, in fact, the policy they have. And you don't like it. Well, okay. It, the, the same thing that I said earlier that applies to the people who choose not to get vaccinated applies to you. If you don't feel safe, if you don't think your employer is taking this seriously, if you think your employer is making a mistake by allowing people who are unvaccinated back into the building, go with God. That, that, that there's that there's that 
door. You know, every, every workplace I've ever been in has this door, and the door opens and closes, and people go in and out. And if you feel that it is an unsafe workplace, if you feel that you're putting yourself at unnecessary risk by being around people who might not be vaccinated, I'm, I'm cool with that. Then find some other place to work. That, 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 to me, it's one of these things where the employer gets to make that call based on a whole var- wide variety of factors. And then, again, you as the employee decide, you know, can you live with this or or not? And if you decide not to, I mean, that that's fine with this as well. You know, so th- that's the factor. Um Jeff, didn't Obama do this with health care already? Certain amount of employees, employers had to cover insurance if under the individual had to pay for health insurance. Yeah, I mean, they've, they, they, they did it with the insurance mandate because they figured the small employers couldn't afford to pay for it. But this is different. This is a health sort of situation. Then a lot of people are texting me and, you know, the, the whole thing. What about vac- vaccinations? You know, what about immunities, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I don't even going to go down that route. To me, this is a simple case of employers' rights. Employers get to make the rules. And for the federal government to impose this additional rule on an employer, I think is wrong. number of people are also noting the political I- irony of this. So Joe Biden looked at yesterday's election results and came up with this. Seems to have learned a lot. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, spoken tongue in cheek. I think one of the things that you saw in these election results yesterday was a rejection of the, the big government one size fits all, you know, approach to this. Um, Jeff, in the trucking industry, the government tells us what we can and can't do for our own business. I don't think this is much difficult, different. They make it so difficult to hire drivers and everyone wonders why there's a driver shortage and supply chain issues. This, this, by the way, isn't going to make it any easier to get drivers and it's not going to make it any easier to get people who unload stuff on the docks. Again, don't, don't get me wrong about here. I understand that in a workplace, there might be compelling reasons why you want to have all your employees are vaccinated. And, and, and that would perfectly justify the rule. And if the president of the company and the board of directors in consultation with their HR department decide to do this, I think they have every right to do it. But this isn't that. This is Joe Biden telling you that he knows better than you do for your company. I, there's going to be a lot of lawsuits about this. I seriously question whether this is ever going to go into effect. But um, again, the fact that you're pushing it two days after the debacle for Democrats in Virginia and to a lesser extent, New Jersey and in other places across the country tells me rather than learning from the election mistake, you have the Biden administration that's prepared to double down um, on on their losses. Back with more in just a minute. Now, with the news that Aaron Rodgers is out this week and that uh, Kirk, Ben Kirk, the third-string quarterback, is out, leaving us with Jordan Love to play this game, I, I, it was particularly timely. I, I noted the passing of a guy named Tom Maddy. And if you are a Packers fan from back in the day, you, you may remember this name. Tom Maddy 
was a halfback who played for the Baltimore Colts. And going back to 1965, and this was this was the first of the Packers. This was the year before the Ice Bowl. All right. And, and the Baltimore Colts, I think a lot of people thought that they might have been the best team that year. And the quarterback of the Baltimore Colts was Johnny Unitas, who's generally recognized as one of, certainly one of the greatest quarterbacks of his era, maybe one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Well, what happened was um, Johnny Unitas gets injured tears up his his knee out for the year in December of at, at the last stages of the season. Okay, so they, they've got a backup quarterback, the Colts do. His name is Gary Quazzo. And so they bring him in. Well, he gets injured, um, separates his left shoulder. So he's out. So the Colts are out of quarterbacks. So what they do is they find Tom Maddy, who's a halfback, um, and he goes, he plays a game against Cleveland, um, and, against the Los Angeles Rams, and, and they win 20 to 17. He's this back, he's got, he has this wristband. If you ever go to the NFL, Hall of Fame in Canton. They, they show it. He's got this wristband that had the plays on it. He wins. The next week is the Western Conference Championship game. The Colts are playing the Packers, and Unitas is gone. Quazo, the backup quarterback, is gone. Tom Maddy, again, who's a halfback, he plays He plays the quarterback. And what ended up happening is the Packers, this is a very controversial game. The Colts were leading for a good chunk of the game. The Packers tie it up on a field goal that, to this day, Baltimore Colt fans doesn't, don't believe that it was good. Tie it up 10-10, go on to win over in overtime. They go on and beat Dallas, and then you know it kind of continues the, the dynasty that they had. But Tom Maddy was the quarterback, this halfback that played quarterback, and he, he became legendary, especially among the Baltimore Colts fans. I was thinking that he, he passed away yesterday, two days ago, at the age of 82. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, with, with, with Rodgers out, with Ben Kirk out, Anything happens to Jordan Love, who knows who they might might turn to. You know, you, you could have Randall Cobb potentially, and I know that they're trying to sign some other quarterback or whatever, but you could have Randall Cobb be, being the, the Tom Maddy of this generation. Kind of interesting. Tom Maddy passing away at the age of 82. That's a name from the football past. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Mike Spaulding, they started with 20, they're down to 19 jurors. They bounced the one guy. Yes, you were correct. <laughs> how, how, and... And I guess we're not okay. We're 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 not repeating the punchline of this because it hasn't been reported. But the, the the thing that has been public, it was it was about Jacob Blake, right? Who yes. Was the, right. And, Correct. And it was like the it was what what it has. I've seen it reported somewhere. I mean, the, the lead in was why did he shoot him so many times or something like that. Correct. Right. That was the lead in, and we were not reporting the punchline. But I guess I I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, how bad do you? want to get off that jury if you're deciding that th- you're going to this is what you're going to say and you're going to say it to one of the sheriff's deputies and i don't know if it was just the juror uh trying to say face or whatever it was but he did tell the judge he thought it was okay because he didn't think it had anything directly to do with the trial so he did put up a defense however weak it was he at least did say something but he was asked to repeat it for the record and he chose not and to he chose yes not to. yes well it's it, it's kind of you know somebody was asking me today that, that how hard is it to avoid getting picked on a jury and and in general in a case like this it isn't i mean they were i mean you had dozens of people that got tossed off because all you have to say is i 
I just I don't, I don't feel I can be impartial, especially a case like this. I've heard the case. I've known about it. I've got opinions on it. I don't think I'm going to be impartial. And the judge can try to talk you out of that position. But, but essentially, once you say that, you're, you're going to be what they call struck for cause, you know, because you can't be a fair and impartial jury. So, jurors, so anybody who wanted to get off of this really could have. I've just got to figure that, you know, two days into it, this guy just decided he wanted no more part of it. And just I, either that or he's just. Felony dumb. One of it's, it's one of the the two. You know, <laughs> yeah, not the place to be trying out your uh, comedy routine. I don't think. Well, well, exactly with the deputy. And, and you know, somebody was asking me, do they? Is it common for jurors to interact with the deputies? And the answer to that is yes. I mean, because they now I I don't know who it was that this particular juror, you know, which, which deputy and all they engaged in. But but you know, you have deputies that are assigned to essentially look after the jury and so you have the the deputies that that bring them that take them to lunch that you know bring them you know f- to and from the jury box and stuff so yeah you I mean the deputies do interact with the jurors and, and I don't want to say get to know them on a personal level but th- there's there's exchanges that go on um but <laughs> but generally speaking I think you're right. If you're going to try out a comedy routine, you know, maybe maybe this is where you tell mother-in-law jokes or something yeah, like exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and the other thing we don't know is how it was brought to the prosecutions because they were the first one to raise issue with it. Um, Rittenhouse's defense team did say they agreed with the gentleman being tossed off of the jury, but we're not sure how they got that information. The deputy told the prosecutor. It, that is, That's what I thought happened. The, okay. the deputy reported this to the, to the prosecution, and the prosecution, you know, raised it with the, with the court. And, and again, it's, it's good that this all comes out. And this is why, as we talked about earlier, this is why you pick 20 jurors, mm-hmm. because, no, this was a weird situation. I'm not sure in all the years I tried cases I ever had somebody bump because they, 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 they told a, a joke, you know, mm-hmm. they commented on the case. But you do, I mean, you have people that get sick, you have people that have family emergencies that come up, you have people that do like squirrely sort of things, and, and that's why you, you always have more jurors. Now, in this case, they have a lot more jurors than they need. Typically, I think, you know, if we would have 12, maybe you'd have 14 or something, because you, you don't plan on losing jurors. But good that they've got 20 here, or now they have 19. Now 19, yes. Yeah. And for people who are asking, how are you, how how are they going to get down to to the number? And there's uh, there's all sorts of different ways you can do it. My understanding is, in this case, it's just going to be by lot. So every person, it's not. Sometimes people get designated up front as alternates. That's not it. It's just so if there's there's jurors number one through nineteen, for example, they're just going to they'll draw twelve straws, and those twelve will be the ones that end up deliberating, deciding the case. Kind of how it works. So if you're not one of the twelve, if you're one of the other. Eight, seven, yeah, seven. Oh. Are, are you uh, perturbed that you sat through this and 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 now oh, you yeah. just get sent home, right? You just spent three weeks or however long this was going to end up being. Right. Oh yeah. I, would. I mean, if if you sit through the case, wouldn't you want to be deciding? Now, here's what they do sometimes. And, and again, I don't, I, you don't know what they're going to do here. What they do sometimes is once they give the case to the jury, what they will do is they won't discharge the alternates. Um, and what they'll do is they'll they'll just they'll, they'll have them in a separate room. They won't be part of the deliberations, but you'll essentially keep them separated as well. The idea being, okay, once you've got it down to twelve, what happens if one of those twelve deliberating jurors one has a medical emergency or whatever? Well, you need twelve jurors to have a verdict. You you can't unless unless both sides agree, and I, that that's not going to happen in a case like this. So you need twelve people to have a verdict. So. Sometimes what they will do is they'll they'll keep 
They'll keep the alternates separate. They won't let them go home. And then if something happens to one of the jurors, they'll slide that person who was the alternate in. It, it gets a little tricky, and I don't know if they're going to do it in that case, but sometimes it happens because, le- trust me, the last thing you want is to have a mistrial in any case because you run out of jurors, and especially in a high-profile case like this, the last darn thing in the world they would want is to have a mistrial where you have to start and, and do this over again. All right. Big story here. Let's face it. I understand some people will send me, when we talked about this yesterday from a different perspective, hundreds of texts, hundreds of texts. And of those hundreds of texts, everybody but two people were absolutely fascinated by the topic. And the two said, well, who cares about this? You know, talk about other stuff. And to which I responded, if if you don't think that Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers' situation is something that most people around here are talking about, well, you know, that, that's why you don't do a radio talk show. It's just because it's, this is a huge interest story. So we all know the story. Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID-19. Aaron Rodgers, at best, at, at worst, he flat out lied to the press when he was asked questions about this in August. At worst, he, what would the word be, dissembled. You know, he he gave a, a fault, he he. If not accurately out and out lying, he clearly created an impression that he was, in fact, vaccinated when he wasn't. And I think a lot of reporters are a little bit hacked off because they now realize that Rogers played him like like a fool. Rogers gave the impression that he was vaccinated. Nobody asked the follow up. Nobody said because his response was, are you vaccinated? His response was, yeah, um, I, I've been immunized or I'm immunized. And nobody recognized that everybody assumed that that meant that he was vaccinated and that that's just how he approached this. Okay, so I have in my hands a number of the stories in involving this. Let me share with you just a handful of the headlines. Pete Doherty, Packers News. This is Packers News. Aaron Rodgers' decision to go unvaccinated is mind-blowing and selfish, for someone who is supposed to be a leader. Okay, that's the headline. The article is on those points. Uh, Washington Post. Aaron Rodgers is entitled to stay unvaccinated. He's not in total entitled to lie about it. Wall Street Journal. Aaron Rodgers tests positive for COVID, raising questions about his claim to be immunized. Uh, Wisconsin State Journal, Jim Polson. Aaron Rodgers misled us. Now he and the Packers have an unnecessary mid-season mess. Uh, Chicago Tribune. You get the idea, but I'll go on. A concealed truth. A positive COVID-19 test and a real mess. Aaron Rodgers' credibility is under fire as the Green Bay Packers Super Bowl hopes take a hit. All right. There is more. Let's see, just to give you an idea. Um, this is out of the L.A. Times. Op-ed. How could this happen? Aaron Rodgers didn't get vaccinated, and the NFL let him play anyway. And, you know, it goes on and on. But but those are the, the general headlines. The general sense is a lot of people unhappy with Aaron Rodgers, some for his decision not to get vaccinated. And then a the larger point is this general perception that he lied about this or intentionally misled people. And then, of course, there's the other issue about whether or not the Packers covered this up 
by not enforcing all the different protocols that you're supposed to have on an unvaccinated player. I mean, is this the Aaron Rodgers rule? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. How big a deal is this with regard to the reputation of Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers, again, in the offseason with all the angst about leaving the team and stuff, I think hurt his stock quite a bit. Um, clearly, Winning forgives a lot of stuff, and I think a lot of people had sort of glossed over what had happened in the summer. Hey, the team is 7-1. and one. Rodgers is playing really well. This is great. And now it comes out that Aaron Rodgers was, at best, fast and loose with the truth in attempting to try to create a false impression. At worst, he flat-out lied. He might have gotten special treatment from the Packers and or the NFL with regard to this, and now he can't play for a couple games. 855-616-1620. All right, is this going to hurt Rodgers' reputation moving forward, or as long as he comes back in a week or two and takes the Packers to the Super Bowl, will everything be forgiven? 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Here's a text, Jeff. I sure wish Rogers would have chosen to go to that Halloween party as a surgeon. Then his costume would have at least had him in a mask. Or he could have gone as Pinocchio. Then we would have known he was lying. Just saying, yeah, instead of John Wick, eh, maybe. And I, by the way, love the John Wick movies. Instead of John Wick, let's have him go as Pinocchio. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, the national stories and the local stories are, are, are brutal. And I, I think there's a lot of the reporters in particular who feel that Rogers lied to them or actively deceived them. And then they're kicking themselves right now because Rogers played him like a chump. Because if you go back and you parse the words, he clearly gave the impression that he was vaccinated. Now, at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything because vaccinated or unvaccinated, you know, he got COVID and he wouldn't be playing this week. But I guess part of the question is then, you know, we're were the Packers following all the rules? Was he following all the rules? Or was this an example of somebody who thought, hey, I'm really incredibly talented. I'm one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So those those stupid rules don't apply to me. Andrew in Waukesha. Hi, Andrew. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. What do you think? Hey, so for all these people that are saying that Rodgers is a liar and he was you know, misleading all of the reporters in the league, they obviously don't know Aaron Rodgers. I mean, look at just a few months ago in all of the, the preseason drama. He was very deliberate and very specific with the words that he chose. And Wilde was on your show saying, listen to the people he's saying he loves, but just as importantly, listen to the people that he's leaving out. And I think this is kind of the same. Anybody who heard him say, well, I'm immunized, and took that to believe that he meant he's actually vaccinated, you know, shame on the reporters for just taking him on his word on that. Okay, well, let me we stop you there. If we, if we don't say an accurate, let me stop you there, Andy. If we don't want to say an accurate lie, would you agree with me that his intention was to mislead? Are you vaccinated? Well, yeah, I've been immunized. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Are you vaccinated, Jeff? Well, yeah, then, I've been immunized. Don't. Would you agree with me that his intention was to mislead? Probably because he didn't want to catch flack from people saying, well, okay, well, you're immunized. What exactly does that mean? Or some of the other quarterbacks who who decided not to get vaccinated, they took a lot of crap in the media. I mean, I understand why he might have done it, but would you agree with me he was trying to mislead people? Well, I don't disagree with that, but then okay. the reporter should be following up with yep. all of this, too. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you this, too. If his 
goal was to mislead, and he was also misleading the team and using that to break the rules. Well, then shame on Aaron Rodgers, too. Yeah, no, thanks. thanks. And again, I, I mean, right, and I think, I mean, part of the reason you're getting some of these headlines is you have a lot of reporters who feel that they got, what's the word I'm looking for, guppied in, who who just, who who Rodgers played like a fiddle because, you know, they, they just didn't the follow-up. They they assume that when you ask the person the direct question, are you vaccinated, and he says, yeah, um, I've, yeah, I've been immunized, that in that context, he, he's talking about the same thing. No, no, you're right. If you parse his words, technically it's it's not a lie by commission, but it's an effort to, in fact, you know, m- mislead. Now, you know, why did he do it? Well, I think it probably did it. Why be, Why he did it was pretty obvious because if somebody would have said, well, what do you mean you're immunized? Have you been, in fact, vaccinated? Who knows what his answer would have been? But if he said, no, I'm not vaccinated, that would have then, again, opened him up to all the, this scrutiny. And again, look, I, it, the, the NFL has rules. They don't, they don't force people to get vaccinated, but they do force people to follow certain protocols. And that's going to be the question, was he following them? And my guess is he, he my guess is he wasn't. I mean, I think one of the protocols I said is you're supposed to travel separately from the team. Was he traveling separately from the team and doing all that stuff? I, I, I don't know. But I, will this hurt his legacy, I guess? 855-616-1620. Or is this going to be a tempest in a teapot? He misses one game. He, he comes back. Packers run the table, win the Super Bowl, and he rides off into the sunset or to Denver or wherever for the next stage of his career. 855-616-1620. I do think it hurts his legacy. I, I think it's it's yet another example. And you go back to the stuff this summer. He's an incredibly talented, an incredibly gifted player. But candidly, he, he does stuff which is odd. He thinks, in my opinion, he's the smartest person in the room. And that sometimes comes back to haunt you. Um, let's talk to Richard. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? Hi, Richard. Uh- I think wamboozled would be a good word that you were trying to think of before. So <laughs> yeah. he, he wamboozled the, the media. Um, since he had no problem misleading, in my opinion, and of course yours, I think, too, the media and therefore the general public, what makes you think that he didn't also mislead the team? There's no way to know that the team knows that he was knew that he wasn't vaccinated either, I don't think. So yeah. I, 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 he, he certainly doesn't have any love for the upper echelon of management, so... What would make one think that he was being honest with them anyway? So yeah, no. I, so does this hurt his legacy, in your opinion? Oh, in my opinion, personally, his legacy was crushed when he was acting like such a jag bag in the spring, and it's really bad now. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Well, so. I think a lot of people are going. <laughs> I think I haven't heard that term in a long time. I, I think. Um, um, I mean, I think a lot of people are are going to feel that way um jeff it, it, and a lot of people doesn't surprise me him and braun were partners they're exactly the same you know and again that's i mean a lot of people are, are making that analogy now the, you know ryan braun um ryan braun to me is different ryan braun violated the rules by cheating with steroids and then when confronted with the evidence that he had violated the rules and cheated with steroids he actively lied about it and and went out of his way as effectively to 
really destroy a guy's career. So I, I don't put what Aaron Rodgers did in that same category. First of all, Aaron Rodgers wasn't required. I mean, it's not like he violated, it's, it's not like he violated, he wasn't taking steroids, he wasn't taking illegal drugs. He just chose not to get vaccinated, which is an option that was allowed to him. And then he misled people about his, his status for, again, whatever reason. I'm, I'm sure he thought he was pretty clever. Hey, everybody thinks that I'm vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not going to get hassled like Kurt cousins and people like that are but i do think um i do think this is something that uh, affects the way people perceive him jeff i think uh, i agree with you rogers is definitely odd but i don't think this will hurt his legacy all will be forgotten if they win the super bowl well yeah that's um i, I think there there's an element of that and, and you saw this playing out i mean pretty much all let's face it when the packers lost when they got blown out opening week uh, to New Orleans. Then it was all like, was Rod- is Rodgers all in, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now they've won seven games in a row, and he's been playing well in almost all of those games, and so all that stuff is forgotten. So, yeah, I, I think I kind of agree with that. If he comes back and, you know, they run the table and they win the Super Bowl, well, yeah, I, I think everything's going to be forgotten. Forgiven? I, I don't know. It's just another one of the, the in the bizarre story of, of Aaron Rodgers that appears to get, like, more bizarre the older he gets. So, Mike, I, I, I forget if we talked about this yesterday, but this whole Aaron Rodgers thing, mm-hmm. which I, I think everybody would agree that, that it, at best, he was intentionally misleading. You know, have you been vaccinated? Yeah, I, I'm. I've been immunized, and and you know, shame on the reporters for not following up on that and not recognizing that Aaron Rodgers was playing with words and stuff like that. And but I, I do. I, this does so much remind me. It, it takes me back to the, the mid 1990s and, and Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. and for. The, the, the history of this, and we'll all remember that, you know, Bill Clinton, President of the United States, who for reasons that, pa- well, I guess we understand what he was thinking at the time, decides to do a version of the nasty with his intern, you know, Monica Lewinsky, in the Oval Office, which is just, again, kind of one of these mind-boggling things. And then w- once rumors of this got out, Clinton went to a number of his top aides who kind of asked, hey, what 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 is there to this and his response was there is nothing going on between us so he gets called into the grand jury and they're asking him about the question is did you lie to your aides your your closest people when you said there's nothing going on between us there's nothing going on between us and that's where you got this famous clinton statement and i quote well I, I was going to do it in my, my accent, but that gets me in trouble. <laughs> Sometimes I do dialects, it's going to be trouble. Okay, but this, this is what he said. It, it, so the question is, okay, when you told your aides there's nothing going on between us, that was a lie, to which he says, well, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. If the, if he, if is means and never has been that it is not, that is one thing. If it means there is none, that was a completely true statement. Now, if someone had asked me on that date, are you having any kind of sexual relations with Ms. Lewinsky? That is, ask me a question in the present tense, I would have said no, and it would have been completely true. So in other words, when they say, you know, what's going on between the the two of you? Because apparently in his mind, as he tries to rationalize this, because they weren't in the act of sex right then, well, no, there's nothing going on between us. We weren't doing it right then. So it depends on what the definition of is is this is kind of like that it's 
exactly like that. There, <laughs> I think you can draw. There's no need for six degrees of separation. I think there's one degree. It's the exact same thing, and I, and I feel like both of these gentlemen think of themselves sort of in the same way, almost an arrogance and a I am smarter than everybody else in the room. Right. And I've thought out every single word, and you have probably not thought out every single word. Right, and I played, and and I played you like a fiddle yeah. because I've I've created this impression, and nobody thought to nobody thought to follow up on it because again, I, I, I assume a lot of these reporters probably, and I think that's one of the senses that you're hearing today from some of these reporters who thought they had a relationship with Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers and thought they could trust him. And they're they're hacked off because they feel that, that he played them and kind of counted on the fact that they weren't going to do follow-ups and weren't going to push him on this stuff because they probably believe that Aaron wouldn't deceive us. <laughs> he wouldn't. He would not intentionally mislead us. Mm-hmm. And they're finding out, well, he did. Yeah, it's like who wants to burn the bridge first and Aaron Rodgers clearly did not have an issue with taking the first step, right? right? Well, and what's so silly about the whole thing, too, is he, he didn't have to be vaccinated. Yeah, you, you know, right. that, that see, that that's the thing. It, it's one of the, look, I understand why Bill Clinton waffled, prevaricated, lied, misled, or whatever, because, okay, it, it's it's a big deal, and you don't want your wife and your family to find out that you've been, you know, dallying with one of these interns. I, I get all that. I mean, I, I understand why, and you could argue, I, I get all that. That This is one that makes no sense to me at all because you don't have to be vaccinated. You know, and, and a number of the other NFL quarterbacks, I mean, Kurt Cousins is one, um, the guy from Buffalo, Josh Allen is one. There's a couple of them who already came out and said, for whatever reasons, they're not getting vaccinated. And and Rogers could have easily then used this. To, no, I know. I, I'm I'm not vaccinated. I've been taking these homopathic treatments. I believe they're just as effective, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He could have explained all that and defended himself, and yet he didn't. And it would have been a story for a couple of days, you know, and then we right. would have moved on and it would have been addressed and it just would be what it is. But now we're we're in this world now where it's a giant story, which is another kind of parallel to the Bill Clinton thing when, when I think his aides were like, hey, what if you just got out in front of it, admitted to it, and he was adamantly denying, no, I'm not going to want to do that, calculating that I don't think they have anything on me. I think Aaron probably thought, if I don't get COVID, no one will ever have to know. Oh, sure. This will never come out again. But I'm with you. If, if if you just would have addressed it at the beginning, I don't think people would have felt peeved off. I don't think you would have burned the bridges that you did. And who knows, in three weeks when he's back out there and throws five touchdowns and they beat the Bears... And, you know, well, right, or, or go on and, and win the Super Bowl <laughs> exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah, that, there's no question about it. Okay, when we come back, the president says it's not going to happen. But then the president also said, I didn't know anybody was talking about it happening. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, now this is an interesting story because there's the underlying issue and then there's the stuff going beyond this. We talked about this last week. The Wall Street Journal reported that the Justice Department was in negotiations with attorneys 
to pay for up to $450,000 to illegal immigrants who came into this country when Trump was president and were separated. You know, the, the, in an effort to discourage people from coming across the border illegally, what would happen is Trump administration had a policy that was actually a variation of something that started under uh, President Obama, but, but Trump expanded it. They would take the adults, they would separate the adults. The adults would be arrested, they would put and be in, put in confinement. The minor children who came in with the parents who entered illegally, they would be separated and they would be detained in a, a, juvenile, in a detention facility and ultimately as they try to figure out ways to place the, the kids. Um, but they were separated. That that was the policy that was there. Well, all right, after that happened, there was, there was outrage. You had the ACLU that ended up suing, and there were reports in the Wall Street Journal last week, and this was based on comments that both the Department of Justice and the ACLU were making about how they were trying to negotiate a settlement to some of these patent pending lawsuits or whatever, and they were looking at paying up to $450,000 apiece to the for every minor that was separated. All right? And that this was and matter of fact the ACLU was very upfront about it. It wasn't a done deal or anything, but it clearly was ongoing conversations and this wasn't something that was just like pulled out of whole cloth. I mean, it, it's it's something that's been going on and you you had all these attorneys who represented the families whose kids were separated saying, "Oh, this was terrible." And we had a lengthy conversation. I think we spent about a half hour talking about it on the program, you know, last week whenever we discussed it and I I thought it was outrageous that we would consider spending taxpayer dollars in that fashion. Most of you agreed, but some people said, "Oh, this was a terrible policy, and yes, we should be giving these folks that, that kind of money. All right, well, that was the issue. Well, so Joe Biden was gone. You know, Joe Biden was um, at his various conferences and stuff, and so he, he comes back. And so yesterday, they ask him about this th- this story that, that's out there, and they ask him about, you know, are you really seriously going to consider paying $450,000 to, you know, people, children who were separated from their parents when the parents ended, entered the country illegally? Now, I, I was curious as to what Biden would say because, I, I don't know, I understand there might be some people who think this is a good idea, but if you thought that there was a wave election in Virginia on Tuesday, just just wait till you see how this comes. Okay, so here's the deal. So they ask him about this. Uh, yesterday, and Biden, Biden snaps back. Biden says, it's not going to happen. All right? He says, if you guys keep sending that garbage out, um, okay, because then somebody says, well, okay, because if you you paid $450,000 a piece to people who are separated like this, isn't that going to encourage more migrants to start to come to the U.S. illegally? Which, of course, the answer is yes. And Biden says, if you guys keep sending that garbage out, yeah. But it's not true. It's not going to happen. Okay, that, that's what that's what Biden says. All, all right, not going to happen. Well, here's the the problem. Uh, immediately after that, this is what the um, ACLU says, and they're the ones involved in the litigation. And I'm quoting now. 
President Biden may not have been fully briefed about the actions of his very own Justice Department as it carefully deliberated and considered the crimes committed against thousands of families separated from their children as an international governmental policy. But if he follows through on what he said, the president is abandoning a core campaign promise to do justice for thousands of separated families. But the operative thing is President Biden may not have been fully briefed about the actions of his very own Justice Department. Here, See, so there's two stories that are out there. One is, would, would any government official in their right mind pay $450,000 up to that, sometimes maybe less money, to children who are brought in you know, illegally by their parents who are then separated and then you know, ultimately placed? You know, would, would you pay a dime for, for this? Would, would any responsible person pay a dime for this, and much less $450,000? So that, that's one story. It's the merits of it. But the scarier thing that's out there is... Joe Biden, who apparently had no clue that this was going on. I mean, I, I'm going to I'm going to take him at his word. It's not going to happen. He snaps at the reporters. He said, this is yeah, if, if we did something like this, of course, more people would come into the country illegally. If you guys keep sending that garbage out. Yeah, but it's not true. So he's saying there's nothing to these reports. And immediately the lawyers who have apparently been negotiating something like this with the Department of Justice say, well, uh, the president might not have been fully briefed, which is another way of saying the president obviously doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> There's just no, the, the, the lawyer, we're in settlement negotiations and apparently nobody has told Joe that this is it. Now, I guess I find, I don't know what's more troubling, the notion that you know we would pay $450,000 a piece or the fact that the president of the United States is apparently clueless that this stuff is going on, and he's so clueless that he feels compelled and entitled to just go ahead and denounce this. This is this, this report is just absolutely garbage, not going to happen. Well, that's apparently news to the people who have been negotiating the, the settlement. It wasn't just made up. This is kind of like what happened a week ago where the president goes and meets with the president of France. And, and we discussed this. There, there was a huge issue I think everybody might remember the story. France had cut a deal to buy submarines from Australia, to, to, to sell sub, make and sell submarines to Australia. All right. The submarines that France was going to sell were not nuclear submarines. Great Britain and the United States went behind France's back. They cut a deal with Australia to send them nuclear submarines, which are, which are, which are better, more suited to the purpose, etc. But they didn't tell France, one of our allies, that we were doing this. And so when France found out that these multi-billion dollar contracts were being canceled and instead Australia was going to buy stuff from Great Britain and the U.S., they were understandably honked off. They said, this is what, what allies do. So in an effort to smooth this all over, Biden goes and he meets with the French president and he says, as God is my witness, I, I, I didn't know, I, I, I thought you guys had been told, which again is, is one of these sort of scary things. How could you not know that? I mean, how could you be under? This was clearly something that they kept secret from France. They didn't want France to know. They didn't want France to know while the deal was being done. They had they held it from them. And Joe Biden apparently didn't know 
that, that this was going on. And just like he apparently didn't know that at least this this payment to people who brought kids in illegally was was underway and was serious and was being advanced and was apparently at advanced stages in the Department of Justice. So regardless of how you feel about the merits of either one of these things, the, the other story out there is is you wonder what the president isn't being told and what the president doesn't know, because it seems like there's a lot of that stuff out there. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mean, this is, it is just an amazing story out there because one of the reporters says, hey, $450,000 and Biden gets his, gets his backup. $450,000 per person. Is that what you're saying? That's not going to happen. And then he says, yeah, of course, if, if we paid that kind of money to people coming in illegally, you know, it would open up the floodgates. That's, that's why it's a garbage report. At which point in time they say, well, um, he might, like the ACLU guy, then trying to back off from this, says, well, Mr. Biden might have been caught off guard by the question, and he might not have been fully aware that his Department of Justice was negotiating potentially to give $450,000 apiece, which raises this question about, you know, what, what do we tell, what do we tell the President of the United States, and, and when does he get included in this after they announce the press releases and things like that? I mean, that, again, that's one of the scary things that's out there. It's, it's what does Joe Biden know and and when when did he know it and things like that look I've been trying not to to I've been trying not to go down this rabbit hole that some people are. There were, there were, you know, all sorts of stories when he was at one of these big meetings over the other couple of days. He fell asleep. You know, they had it like a, at least they caught him with his dozing, with his eyes closed or stuff. That kind of, that kind of stuff happens. And it happens to people when they're 39, much less when they're 79 or whatever. And I, I just, I, sometimes I think that's unfair and, and beating him up in that regard. But you do have more and more of these examples that are out there of, of a president who appears to be disconnected for want of a better word, from many major policy initiatives and, and things that, that, are, that are going on. And, and just, I, I mean, I guess I don't think that you necessarily know everything that, that's going on. The federal government's big. And I mean, I understand that there's some presidents who are micromanagers, and that wasn't necessarily very good. But you would think that if the Justice Department was in serious late-stage negotiations to consider paying $450,000 to children who were accompanying their parents when their parents came into this country illegally and were separated, you would think that that would have been something that at some point in time, someone somewhere would have mentioned to the President of the United States, but apparently it didn't happen. Interestingly, once that story came out, uh, Republicans, of course, had the typical response, but there was a lot of Democrats, too, who, and this was even before the electoral debacle on Tuesday, were thinking, huh, I'm not sure how we're going to go back to our districts and run um, in defense of $450,000 apiece for children of people who were brought to this country illegally. But uh, Joe Biden now says the report is garbage, not going to happen. That's good. Hope he's correct. All right, a lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Do not go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa, it seems that you and my wife, it's interesting. We both have the same kind of cars. We do, yeah. And we both have the same problems. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I, was, I was saying during the break that my wife called me and said, well, the air conditioning unit on the, one of the cars isn't working. And I, I told her to take it in, and she took it in, and they're telling her $2,000 later news. it will be fixed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, okay, well, what are you going to do? And then you said you've got the same problem. Yeah, I have the same problem, and I've had the same problem. I just haven't been um, as forthcoming with the money. <laughs> <laughs> so I last summer I went without air conditioning, and I know that's crazy. But it was going to be fit, like fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars, and I've had my car completely paid off for so long. So I'm really not looking forward to trading it in and getting. I, I am, and I'm not because I don't want the payment. But gosh, like, what do you do? You have a great car. Do you fix the? You know, fifteen hundred. How, how many miles do you have on your car? Mine has one hundred twenty nine thousand. Okay. So I'm kind of at that point where mm, I probably should. I already know what I want. I want basically the same thing again. But yeah. yeah. Now, see, mine, mine's a different story. It has like 68,000. Yeah, exactly. I have no. It, I, I just have no interest in, in buying Buy yet anyone. another new yeah. car. No, so it's it. kind of like, okay, honey, just go. Just do it. Just, yeah. just, just, just get it fixed. And sorry, I can't deal with it. I'm glad you're dealing with it there. And <laughs> yeah, just, well, and you take know, care of it. It's, it's then that. And then I have to get new tires next year. And it's just, you know, all the things that you just have to continually upkeep. Melissa, so. you're going to have to work yeah. till you're 75. I know. I'm, which I'm will just... be a, a wonderful thing. Everybody's going to want to hear you till <laughs> you're 75. Like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. But it yeah. is kind of interesting. It it's is. like I, I was complaining about, oh, got the air conditioner doesn't work and stuff. I wonder if that's a common thing with the kind of car that we have. Don't know. Well, then, of course, I mean, I do feel like them because she calls me and said the air conditioner isn't working. And then, of course, it's in the category of stupid questions. They say, well, what do you mean the air conditioner isn't working? And it's kind of like, well, uh, yeah, what what do you mean? What do I mean? I I turn on the air conditioner. It makes this weird noise and then it blows hot air. It sounds like the compressor is gone, but it's only money, right? That's true. You can say that if you, you got it. Well, <laughs> even if you don't have it, you, you could say it. That's money. it. All right. Well, hopefully we'll figure this mm-hmm. out. And no, I don't need text telling me how you fix it on your own compressor on an air conditioner because that's, um, I, I understand there's some people who got the auto repair gene in their various families and stuff like that. Um, that, that is not what happened okay. in the Wagner yeah, household, yeah. right? I, I, I did not get, I see, I learned early on as a homeowner that, um, not only do I not have the aptitude to auto repair, plumbing, electricity. I, I not only don't have the app, not only if something goes wrong, not only can I not fix it, but normally 99 times out of 100, I'll make it worse. So I quickly learned. <laughs> yeah. That's not one of your gifts. It's, it's right. Whatever. And so I, I have I have this deal, which is, um, you know, like I, I tell you what you, I, I'll say that to a plumber. I said, I'll tell you what, here, here's the deal. You don't do talk radio and you don't practice law. And, and I promise I won't, I won't like try to repair or fix leaky mm-hmm, pipes because mm-hmm. inevitably it never works. That's a deal. Or switch out air compressors on uh, cars. Okay, let us switch gears here. The announcement was made earlier this week that um, vaccines are now going to be made available for children ages 5 to 11. And a couple different, over a couple, of course, of a couple different programs as we've been leading up to this, you know, we've had these discussions about would you have your 
5 to 11-year-old vaccinated? And uh, the responses we've gotten are all across the map. I mean, some people saying, yeah, as soon as we possibly can, we can. Other people saying just just no way we're going to do it. COVID really, as a general rule, isn't a problem for kids. Even if they get it, they don't get that sick. We don't think it's worth taking these risks. And then there's been other people who kind of take this middle ground that, yeah, we're not anti-vaccine, but we want to wait and see. I mean, this is a new sort of thing. We want to we just want to see how this all plays out. All right. Well, if you live in San Francisco, you really aren't going to have that option. Here is the story. The People's Republic of San Francisco has announced today that they are going to require children ages five to 11 to show proof of vaccination in order to access businesses. Yes, you heard me right. So um, they're going to. There's going to be a grace period. What they're saying is, we we think that we're going to have to wait about eight weeks to give parents a chance to get the kids vaccinated. But after about eight weeks, five to eleven year olds will have to show proof of vaccination before they are allowed to gain access to indoor businesses and activities like restaurants and gyms. So you're you're not going to have any choice if you want to take your kid with you to the grocery store. If you want to take your kid with you to the gym, if you want to take your kid out to Denny's on a Saturday morning to eat, your child will have to be vaccinated. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. San Francisco is convinced that they are doing the right thing. Let's tee this up. Should we be doing that here? Should Milwaukee? Should Waukesha? Should Green Bay? Should the People's Republic of Madison? Should we say, all right, we're going to have a little bit of a grace period, so we can't do it right away. We're going to give you eight weeks, and at the end of those eight weeks, your kids have to be vaccinated or they will not be allowed to go into businesses, can't take the kids with you, grocery shopping, 855-616-1620. In the name of stopping COVID, should the government be requiring vaccinations as a condition of, again, going and taking your kids and allowing them to engage in routine activities? 855-616-1620. I have a feeling you know where I stand on this. We will discuss in a moment. What do you think? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. This is the latest in big government. Earlier this week, the CDC approved vaccines for children ages 5 to 11. Essentially, it's they're like half doses of what adults get. So it's going to be available. Parents are going to be making a decision, and some will decide to do it, some will decide not to, and others will decide, well, we want to wait and see what the effects are. COVID hits everybody as a general rule. Children ages 5 to 11 have not been super spreaders. And as a general rule, uh, children 5 to 11 have not had really, really bad results from getting COVID. Um, COVID, if you want to look at the bad results and the hospitalizations, it, it's older people, it's people with compromised immune systems, it, it's people with underlying health issues. Not to say that a seven-year-old, for example, can't get really, really sick. It's just that's not where the numbers have been over the course of the pandemic, the last year and a half. So San Francisco into this swoops in and they say, here's the deal. We're going to give people about eight weeks 
because we understand it takes a little bit of time. But after those eight weeks, children ages 5 to 11 are going to be treated just like everybody else in order to go into a restaurant, in order to accompany mom or dad into a store, in order to go to a, a gym, in order to presumably, I guess, go to the barber shop or whatever, the child is going to have to be vaccinated. So you're not going to have any choice in the matter, mom and dad, unless you want to leave your kid at home per- at home permanently. 855-616-1620. I think once again, and this is the theme of the program today, this is just a, a gross government overreach. You know, telling people that they have to get their children COVID vaccinations if they want to be able to take them out in public. My first question would be, Show me the evidence that justifies this. Have, as a general rule, have children over the course of the last 18 months, have children ages 5 to 11, have them accompanying mom and dad into a grocery store? Have we traced any examples of those children passing you know, COVID on to somebody else? Have we done that? Have we gotten any evidence at all of a kid going to a seven-year-old going to a, a barber shop? Have we gotten any evidence that the kid got sick because of exposure there? I mean, is this really a problem or is this a solution that's looking for a problem? 855-616-1620. And does government really have a responsibility for making this choice? Jeff, if they actually did something this dumb, um, then they have to hire bouncers to check IDs. They can't find enough employees to begin with. Well, what San Francisco would do is they would put the onus on the business that, you know, you're going to have to have somebody at the door checking IDs. They, they've already done this. We've talked about this before. In and Out Burger, which is a great fast food type of place, um, two of them have been closed in San Francisco because they refuse to follow the mandates saying that they have to check everybody's vaccination card at the door. In and Out Burger says, we don't think that that that's our, our role to discriminate against customers in that. Um, Jeff, my immediate response on required shots for kids in San Francisco, I would do the opposite of this. Jeff, hopefully cities like that do not ask any questions when they see their populations and taxpaying citizens leaving and going elsewhere. It may also start to change their politics like we saw this week. Well, you know, maybe because already you see a lot of people that are already bailing on states on cities like San Francisco, great city, great city in North America that unfortunately is just being run into the ground. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just don't think this is the responsibility of government in this particular case. And on top of that. I, I just don't know that there's any overwhelming evidence. Is it a bad idea to have kids ages 5 to 11 vaccinated? Well, if, if mom and dad, if you think it's cool to get your kid vaccinated, I have no problem with that. But is, is are kids ages 5 to 11, are they contributing to the spread of COVID-19? And have they contributed significantly to the spread of COVID-19 all these last several months? And, and my answer would be no. 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, John. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, what I think is we need to get a handle on this virus. Uh, the vaccine is safe. I don't know why people keep resisting it. Same thing with the mask. A lot of it had to do with our former president politicizing everything. We need to take the vaccine. Otherwise, we're going to be living perpetually with this virus. 
What evidence do you have no, the children? Well, <clears throat> what evidence do you have the children ages five to eleven well, have I, contributed to the spread what of, of I'm COVID? Is there are almost eight hundred thousand Americans that have died from this, mm-hmm. and there's constant fighting over it. Constant fighting. They need to take. Uh, All I have to say, I'm just trying to get everyone to realize this, but I'm having a tough time. Well, John, thanks for calling. I I appreciate that. And again, you're talking to somebody who is vaccinated. But at the same time, I I don't think that means we need to leave our our brains at the door. And if if people, for whatever reasons, make that decision or when when you're talking about, for example, a six-year-old kid and who is otherwise healthy, and you look at the numbers, and you see that, that COVID is not a significant threat to most children. Now, that's not saying if you want to get your kid vaccinated, I get it. I, I understand that. But at the same time, I'm not going to criticize parents who say, yeah, look, I, I want to wait and see. Um, because, again, chances are if my child does somehow get COVID, and the kid hasn't gotten COVID in the last year and a half, but if he does somehow get it, chances are he's going to recover. Now, it could have a bad result. But, you know, that's that's not statistically likely to happen, but it does, in fact, happen. But I guess I'm not going to criticize a parent who decides that they want to that they want to wait and they want to see how this whole thing plays out instead of rushing their kid to get get the vaccination. If I had a five or six year old child, I don't know how I'd handle it. I I honestly don't. I'd probably talk to the pediatrician and find out what they think. But I'm not going to criticize parents who decide that they might want to take a wait and see approach. And as far I see, I think government has every right to try to push public health things. But this was this has been my point about, for example, the the approach that, you know, Tony Evers took a year ago. I think that the responses we take need to be tailored to what the problems are. And and that would be you can encourage parents to get back the kids vaccinated. I I get it. But before you say we're no longer going to allow you to bring the kids out because the kids have been coming out for the last 18 months before you say, well, we're going to impose these government ordered vaccine mandates. Isn't it fair to at least say, all right, show me show me the evidence where by allowing an unvaccinated child over the last 18 months to go into the barbershop or to go with mom to the grocery store or whatever, show me the evidence that documents that that has contributed to super spreader events or has contributed to people getting sick. And if you can't show that evidence, otherwise, then it's just virtue signaling. Here, we, you know, we want to try to force parents, we want to try to make it as inconvenient as possible, so we're going to have them get this vaccine. Look, I, I'm with you, John, as far as the whole notion of vaccine. I think the more people get them, the better it will be, even though I fully acknowledge that just because you've been vaccinated, that's not a guarantee that you're going to get COVID. But I, I, I got vaccinated. No problem with that. But for the government forcing you to take your six or seven year old and get them vaccinated as a condition of you being able to take that kid to the grocery store or the, the barber shop or the hair salon or with you when you're running errands. I think that that's a government overreach unless you can show me evidence demonstrating a need for it. But, of course, we don't do that anymore. We just have the knee-jerk reactions and be done with it. Okay, when we come back, we'll talk to John McCure, find out what he and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.